Uh, hello, everybody. I am Craig Eastman uh, from Fuds on Film, and with me for this commentary, Scott Morris. Well, hello there. Otherwise known as the ghost of Frank Sinatra. That's correct. Um, we are, for reasons, uh, we're probably a little bit vague on ourselves. I'm <laughs> recording this podcast to Clint Eastwood's seminal 1975 uh, thriller, <laughs> The Eiger Sanction. Which is a, a... Oh, hang about, hang about. No, that's fine. Sorry, I thought I'd had an audio malfunction there. Um, One of my guilty pleasures in cinema, and I'm not going to make the mistake of attempting to justify that to you, um, because I fear it can't <laughs> rationally be done. No, this is one of Eastwood's stranger efforts, I think it has to be said. It's, <laughs> it's a, it, it falls neatly into the kind of thriller period that he was going through at the time, but this one's a bit, well, unique in a lot of respects, <laughs> which you will uncover as we go through this if you haven't seen this before. Just know that seagulls are squawking. Yes. And I never thought you really needed the subtitles, seagulls. They're never really going to add much to any plot. No, the Atmos is not dependent on the seagulls. I repeat, not dependent <laughs> on the seagulls. It's not like they're giving you a warning of just don't watch this, mate. Just just don't. It's not worth your time. That's it. Some sort of code. And that's why seagulls are useless. They can't warn you about the quality of films. Well, exactly. If a seagull comes up to you with his, his opinion on, uh, on a film, obviously you know what to do. <laughs> so uh, you said you were going to try and reread the book that this is based yes. on. Did you get around to that? Trevanian. So Trevanian being the author of the original book, you know it's quality, um, and the guy's a phenomenal writer because he does the pop star thing of only having one name. <laughs> I got two chapters in the other night before I fell asleep, um, so I can't offer you uh, any... <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time to be that prepared. And then I realised there were more pressing things in life than preparing for something that essentially you cannot prepare for. Yes. <laughs> um, things like tending to a small child, taking out the recycling. <laughs> yes, painting stuff. Um, but no, um, I was interested to read the book. Oh, yeah, I kind of wanted to check the source material out because as this film progresses, if you haven't seen The Iger Sanction before, if this is your first viewing of it, first of all, stop listening to us. Yes. Um, you're going to miss some fantastic, some fantastic dialogue. Um, yeah, but fantastic you will, and a very, not the sense of it being good, just being more of a, I can't really believe that that's what they said. Fantastical. <laughs> yes. Fantastical. Yeah, the, I, I really needed to know whether or not the, the rich vein of um, homophobia and misogyny <laughs> that runs rampant throughout this film was inherent in the source material. And I really haven't got far enough to say conclusively. All I will say is that it would appear, um, from the first couple of chapters at least, that it is not something present in the source material. Although I have to obviously read on, and I will I will do, possibly even later today, um, and discover whether or not that, that is the fact. But if it's not, then it raises all sorts of questions as to what the hell Clint Eastwood was thinking about when he made this film. Yeah. And my immediate answer to that would be he was thinking about how funny gay people are 
and how nice it is <laughs> to pinch women's arses. Because <laughs> I had obviously no interest in reading the book having seen the film until I read earlier that it's actually supposed to be taken more as a parody of yes. the, the spy genre, which is something that appears to have been completely lost on Eastwood, <laughs> given the way that everything is presented as being surprisingly serious given how stupid it is. Yes. Uh, yes, so I'm not quite sure if this is a case of it being mistranslated or if it was a, a case of adapting it into his own uh, particular interests. I I have the really strong suspicion that East, Eastwood got completely the wrong end of it, and possibly the screenwriters, um, Hal Dresner and quickly unlocks phone and <laughs> uh, and Warren Murphy, Warren Murphy, <laughs> brackets and others. <laughs> I've got the sneaking suspicion that. He was attempting to convey some of the sort of dry witticism and sarcasm of the book, which is evident in the first couple of chapters, certainly. And maybe is just it maybe just hasn't been all that compatible with his own sense of humour yeah. and it's kind of misfired. I think yeah. he's probably misinterpreted it. Well, one of the others that you mentioned in the street writer there is of Rod Whitaker. Um Rod Whitaker, of course, being Trevanian. Mm. So he did have some input into it, but then again, he also described the eventual film as being vapid, which I think is being quite polite about it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first of many dramatic fights here, as we focus on shoes shuffling around. For those confused about the title as I was, the, the sanction is, of course, the act of assassination, and you've just seen one there. Yeah. Oh, bizarrely specifically, it's explained in the book at least that a sanction refers to a counter assassination, a revenge assassination. <laughs> so one must first assassinate before those in league with the assassinated can can then sanction the assassin in return. There must be a pre-sanction. Yes. Sanction before the sanction. Of course, always a great way to establish someone's character by having him stand next to a sign telling him what he is. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, again, you will have noticed if, as you've gone through this film, particularly in terms of character exposition, this is not a film that <laughs> treats its audience with a great deal of, or certainly does not assume a great deal of intelligence on its audience's <laughs> part. <laughs> This is this is great in the in the novel. Um, he gives much more of this speech, and it's very very clear how aloof he is around the subject of art. He is very much an art Nazi, <laughs> very much an art Nazi. And despite openly insulting his crowd, he has quite a good response for that uh, that little speech there. That's it. Yeah, it's like you're all a bunch of fools. Wild applause. <laughs> Fine. Mm-hmm. Tough crowd, or well. The exact opposite of a tough crowd. Yep. That pretty much is carried directly from the book. This is the scene, this is the first scene which plays out differently in the book, which um, leads me to believe that probably the, the source novel isn't as rampant and misogynistic as, uh, as the movie. 
It plays out pretty much exactly the same, actually. The dialogue is mostly word for word, apart from the fact that Clint Eastwood felt that the best way to handle the scene would be to have him reject the young lady's advances here, but then slap her arse on the way out the door. Yeah. <laughs> or pinch her backside. Which isn't a mixed message at all. No. No. It completely undermines the uh, the character as he's, as he's set up in the novel, but never mind. <laughs> it's not that I'm not a man of principle, but just exclusively my principles. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that little aside at the end there, an addition. It's like, I'm rejecting your advances, but I'm still going to objectify you. Yes. Our <laughs> <laughs> introduction to Pope. Yes. Mr. Dragon. I do find it strange that after C2 they jumped straight to C4 and made it an explosive. Mm. Confusing. You would expect Dragon to be someone more impressive given the code name. Oh well, no, this isn't Dragon though, this is Pope. Oh, but they're talking at this, they're, they're mentioning Dragon. They're building up Dragon ah, as yes. being, uh, some, some big deal. And, well, I suppose he is in a way. He has, he has, he has certain characteristics, Scott, that you, you may or may not notice, really. <laughs> it's very subtly done. Yes. In many ways, this film's watchword is understatement. <laughs> Kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! <laughs> Come back from that. <laughs> like, I remember. I'm fairly sure it was yourself. Uh, some time ago, was talking about how Clint Eastwood always seems to contractually ob- uh, obligate himself into having at least one sort of cool tagline per film. So mm-hmm. such things like you know, absolute power, where he's talking about going, "That's entirely unacceptable." That's it. And things like that. This film appears to be composed entirely of those lines. Or attempts at them. Certainly it's- the first half of it is, yeah. <laughs> you have to you have to You have to wonder that this wasn't him just being given too much free reign by the studios, right? Because at this point his star off the back of um Dirty Harry and Play Misty for me, his star yeah. was very much in the ascendant at this point. Yeah. And Dirty Harry of course made all the monies in that year. Yes. Yeah. And I strongly suspect he was just being allowed to do whatever he wanted to do. And at mm-hmm. this point, for for a guy that we hold in such reverence, I think we discussed in the the uh, pre-obituary podcast <laughs> that um, it actually took quite a while for his directorial talent to mature. Yeah. And this certainly is evidence of that. Four years in, I think, to his directorial career and uh, sort of, certainly, I mean, how many movies three or four sort of movies in as director. And there's nothing here that suggests anything other than a perfunctory handle on on the medium. Yeah, roughly in which direction to point the camera. Mm. 
I read somewhere that he was uh, wary about taking this role uh, as, a, as a director, and he was going to pass on it, but uh, they decided to go ahead after talking to one of his director pals, and, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have. <laughs> you can see why it probably felt like a good idea at the time, because the whole spy thing going on, um, again, this is this is at one of those points where James Bond was certainly, well, maybe we don't perhaps perceive it as such now, but it was certainly at something of a of a peak in terms of its box office and popularity for the period. Mm-hmm. And I can see why it'd be attractive to uh, to try and adapt something which was the not the antithesis of that, but very much lampooning the sort of genre. Yeah, um, and not in an overt way. In actually quite a quite a subtle way. And I can understand why that would maybe feel like something which was uh which was worth picking up and running with, but mm. <laughs> I love this dynamic between him and Pope. They they amuse each other. Well certainly <laughs> he amuses Pope. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get this is the the one thing I do get here is the, the hint of a love hate relationship. Yeah. That could have been, and more could have been made of that. Yeah, especially later on. Yeah. But, um, this, oh, here this we go. Is... I think that's my favourite film. Sorry, my favourite line of dialogue possibly in Clint Eastwood's career. Does your physical disability preclude you from coming to the point? If you've quite done with pointless character exposition. Yeah, as you mentioned, that that information there is, of course, always already known the fella and has no real bearing on anything else in the film. So no. why is it there? Again, there we go. That's any confusion about the title cleared up. Yep. Great filmmaking there. (laughs) Keeping the audience in the loop. (laughs) You you can't tempt him with money, but you can tempt him with paintings. That's it. You can tempt him with a bit of oil slapped on a canvas. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not to mention the police. <laughs> at what price is he buying these paintings on the black market? Because as he points out there, even in this day, even at the time this was filmed in the mid seventies, some of these paintings were worth millions, yeah. and yet they're discussing fees in in the mere tens of thousands yeah. <laughs> of these sanctions being carried out. I'm guessing the black market price isn't that much. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't necessarily that much lower than the uh, the market value. To my knowledge, very few buy one get one free offers on the <laughs> black market painting scene. It's like, maybe, maybe this black market of which they speak is actually like an episode of uh, The Price Is Right or something. <laughs> Not The Price Is Right. Sale of the Century. 
Wheel of Fortune. Strike it lucky. One of them. <laughs> this priceless bizarro sold for $25 million, yours for $10,000. <laughs> Sale of the century. <laughs> <laughs> if only he'd walked into Dragon's room and been been greeted with, and now, Dr. Heblock, it's the quiz of the week. <laughs> from from Norwich. It's an effective game show. It was very difficult to watch because it's all in red light. Because <laughs> it's also a, a puzzling albino who's managed to rise surprisingly high given his complete inability to stand natural light. <laughs> it certainly exists under studio light. I mean, not, not that I'm anything against albinos progressing in the world, but I mean, how could this guy say get his first job as an intern? Well, exactly. <laughs> no, Dragon certainly seems to have overcome some odds. I was thinking about this actually as I was reading the the first couple of chapters of the the novel the other night. I, how does a how does a man with that condition get to rise to any sort of position in anything yeah. other than a flotation <laughs> tank? <laughs> Um, I mean, HR being what it is these days, uh, you know, businesses do do tend to bend over backwards to accommodate specific requirements of their uh, their staff. But I think the minute that you, well, I say, walk in the door, but I suppose you'd come in under a shroud or something, <laughs> um, and announce that you require the entire building to be devoid of natural light and um, uh, heated to eighty seven degrees <laughs> to accommodate. <laughs> Your extremely rare condition as a total albino. It's, it's a bridge too far, isn't it? Yeah. Even in this day of political correctness, run mad. <laughs> political correctness, of course, being treating people with respect. <laughs> there you go. 20 grand he's getting paid for this job. This is wonderful. This is just wonderful, this scene. It's, it's indicative for a lot of things. None of them good. I, I need to know. Is there some connotation to do with floss? <laughs> Am I missing something? Was 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 the notion of floss a loaded thing amongst the um, gay community of the seventies? Was it some sort of cultural touchstone for them? I feel like I mean, I feel like his discussion about floss here should have, given the nature of his clear disdain for homosexuals. I feel like he wouldn't have allowed this whole thing around floss unless it carried some sort of meaning. <laughs> and there, the stunningly versatile repertoire. Who's the threat of violence there? His delivery of that line is absolutely majestic. It's um, well, yes, yeah, one way of putting it. I've I've given throughout the years. I have given thought on many an occasion to having that as a message alert on my on my phone <laughs> or something. But I I don't know. It's perhaps too niche to explain to people <laughs> why you're offending so much community needlessly. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand. I just don't understand. But I don't know if that character, if his, sorry, if the if the character he was channeling there, if in the novel, 
it suggested that his portrayal of the delivery man, assuming there even is a delivery man at that point in the novel, there's a reason why he's portrayed as so camp. I don't even really remember what the point of it was. Uh, he was just trying to scope out how much manpower there was up there, I think, before he then yeah, takes the, the far more convenient route of climbing up a, a drain pipe. I suppose that is the scene which has now these days been replaced by just someone waving a thermal imaging camera somewhere near it. That's it. Yeah, It's all about the craft, Scott. It's all about yeah. the spycraft. Yeah, yeah, in many ways, this is one of the most serious contemplated efforts <laughs> about skycraft, spycraft that's been made. Absolutely. I nearly said StarCraft there, but I might as well have been <laughs> as about in common with the video game as it does with actual spy work. There would be a bizarrely disproportionate number of Korean actors in this if it were about <laughs> <laughs> all drinking Picari sweat. It's for hydration, you know. Taking Adderall. <laughs> I always find in these films these people are very, very willing to put their trust in drain pipes, which clearly have been positioned on yeah. buildings for many decades. Yes. I'm sure 14, 14 to 15 stone of of tissue and bone will yeah. present no problem to this drain pipe as I ascend seven stories. Yes. I, I know they're putting loads onto which this was not designed for in uh, yes. configurations it was not designed for, but I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I can only assume that the talented plumber who affixed this... <laughs> <laughs> this drain pipe will have vastly overestimated the margin of error required in calculating the stresses involved and have, have supplied more than enough in terms of fittings to support my ample stature. I do hope this leads to a puzzlingly oversized air ventilation grate. <laughs> We've annoyed the delivery man. He's come back for revenge. <laughs> I'm not sure why he hesitates so long in taking the shot there initially. Yeah. Well, presumably to to give him an excuse to have this thrilling fight. exchange. Yeah. Very it's... much a precursor to the fight between Jason Bourne and Desh Buxani. <laughs> if by precursor you meant it came before, I yes. suppose that is strictly true. And and, and we're obviously we're obviously born in and Buxani had uh, had a flair for the improvisational in their fight. Clint Eastwood very much a meat and potatoes man. <laughs> Within seconds. Route 1 has, defenestration. Has drop kicked the guy out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> he works to some... <laughs> he works to some very simple choreographed uh, flowcharts. <laughs> But asking is still saying. <laughs> I don't want to be pedantic about it, but it would afford me the opportunity to be far more of an asshole. <laughs> Could you stand there while I condescend to you, please? I can't conveniently reach your buttocks with my right hand from where you're <laughs> from where you're standing. Would it be too much of a problem for you to walk forward to the seat in front of me? <laughs> I 
<laughs> if she wasn't so clearly relishing this exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I like our implication that Jemima Brown is ethnic. Yes. As, as though that's an authentic African name. <laughs> Your name is Ndugu? Which clearly, as a subtitles, at least have it. This is not the way you would spell Jess yes. in relation to Jewel. <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to blame Eastwood for that. Oh, those terrible distinctions between G's and J's. Mm. GIF or JIF? Who knows? <laughs> who can say? Defining debates of our de- generation. <laughs> that and why are animated GIFs a thing again? <laughs> it's like video, but worse. Yes. Brilliant. Sometimes modern compression algorithms are too good. Yes. I'm not sure at which point I'm supposed to believe that a man in his position with his training and his experience wouldn't immediately cotton on that there was something unusual about this woman. Yeah. Singling him out on a flight. Yeah. Jeez, buddy. No need to be a dick about it, but then again, that is your defining characteristic. So (laughs) I suppose you do need to be a dick about it. (laughs) Could you condescend me some more? (laughs) I'm having a I'm having a hard time having any self respect up here. Nice bit of jazz. Yeah, I think Eastwood's made his love of jazz ruin many a scene in the course of his career. <laughs> what was the track you mentioned the other night in relation to playing Misty for me? Oh. Uh, was that a jazz track? It was more of a sort of jazz funk debacle. The, the uh, boogie something or other by the gator or something or other. Gator Creek's Dirty Boogie. Gator Creek's Dirty Boogie. It's terrible. (laughs) I refuse to believe that a track with the name Dirty Boogie by Gator, what, sorry? Uh, Gator Creek. Gator Creek. Let's make a note. Oh, how casually we throw these things around in the 70s. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I said at some point in the past, it was 
I, w- I tried to go back and read the uh, James Bond novels, and I, mm-hmm. I think it was Casino Royale. It was certainly the first one I tried to read, and about just towards the end, it was, it was talking about how one of his affairs had the, uh, the sweet tang of rape, at which point I basically stopped reading because yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to support that kind of behaviour. No. If 40 years isn't... On the great societal timescale, 40 years isn't really that long of a time frame to have done a complete turnabout on something like that. But is this... I'm trying to think now of other examples where... Well, that kind of phraseology has been thrown about, so... Cavalierly. Yeah. I mean, clearly, clearly this is not rape. But... But why even mention it? Why even mention it? <laughs> it's not a tactic I imagine working on 99.9% no. of women. <laughs> well, then, clearly, I don't have the sheer animal magnetism <laughs> and raw sexuality of uh, Clint Eastwood. Circa 75. <laughs> ah, she's a good lass. <laughs> you jive, turkey. <laughs> So that whole thing is an elaborate setup just for her to get into his house and what is it? Have they removed the paintings at this point? I think that's what's happening, yeah. Yeah. Because what would have been a far more complicated and overwrought way to do it would have been to have someone force their way into his home while he was away uh, and do it that way. Was that the note for the uh, IRS that you've taken? I think that was it. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exposition, exposition, Doctor Hemlock. A joke. Listen, Voldemort. It's it's either Voldemort or the uh, that barren frog person from Danger Mouse. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. Baron Greenback. Baron Greenback. <laughs> I'll get you next time, Danger Mouse. <laughs> With this 20,000, you'll be able to buy five multi million dollar paintings <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <laughs> the planet Saturn has come onto the black. Mark, Dr. Hemlock, I know how much you love your planets. Wouldn't you love to have the original Saturn in your collection? Oh, sorry about this, Dr. Hemlock. Twice a day I must go to the bathroom and perform the function known as evacuating my bowels. As you know, it's part of my condition as a human being. (laughs) As you know, I require water to live. (laughs) This this glass is full of H2O, which I will imbibe (laughs) through my mouth. (laughs) 
<laughs> As you know, Dr. Hemlock, the air around us allows me to breathe. This air is a mixture of oxygen and nitrogen and certain trace components of noble gases. <laughs> I find these most oxygenating, particularly the oxygen part of it. <laughs> I use a combination of muscles to inflate and deflate my lungs, drawing <laughs> life-giving substance into my body. A rudimentary physiology, but one that has kept me alive <laughs> for, some, for some time. It's all rather playing into the trope that albinos are obviously sinister and evil because they look a bit different. Mm. Something other luminary talent such as Dan Brown will come to rely on later in life. Hmm. <laughs> There's not too much goodwill shown in the climb <laughs> no. reserves. A good the notion of a goodwill climb. <laughs> I'm not sure I follow that. I, I can't really be bothered reading to find out what such a <laughs> such a climb constitutes. But given that at this this period in time. The Iger was still very much um, a death machine of a mountain. Mm. I must be excused for two moments. I will be back. It's just tough to reconcile the amount of money that he's being offered as what actually he's able to translate that into. I mean, even $100,000 plus expenses, it's not really going to get you far in even 1970, uh, whatever prices, in the art market. As far as I know, admittedly, I'm no connoisseur. Yeah. It's puzzling that they bring Jemima Brown back into this. Uh, I don't really understand what the need for a character was, apart from later on, it's useful for more exposition. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> the introduction there of Miles is pushing what we've said about oh, stereotypes uh, to the extreme, which you'll see when we meet Miles Mello a bit later on. And uh, he's a colourful character, I believe they would say in the press. Very sorry for that. What did I miss? Well, they, they've just—he's just offered the bonus of him, uh, Hemlock being able to sanction Miles Mello, who I was explaining is one of the least stereotypical characters I've seen in any drama. Oh, I know Miles Mello. Is he the guy who sanctioned Henri Back? Well, indeed he is. Henri Back, of course, being one of Hemlock's few friends, because he's one of the few people, few people he doesn't hold in complete contempt. Yes, <laughs> which. Presumably means he has some vague appreciation of art. <laughs> I found this. And the thing you must realise about Miles Mello is quite how difficult he is to track down. He is a master of understated <laughs> disguise. <laughs> he blends right into any scene. He's very much the everyman. Undetectable. Unknown. He blends right into any scene, so long as that scene is on stage with Liberace. 
as long as it's some form of Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised at how many <laughs> how many sanctions take place around Mardi Gras. <laughs> I apologise for my absence. My um my rowdy neighbours who have been on holiday for the last fortnight apparently got back this morning and have a new dog, which is barking the place down, so I had to get the cat in. Yeah. <laughs> Their old dog was sanctioned a couple of weeks ago out in the street <laughs> by a roofing contractor in their van, Oh, which uh, I witnessed from my dining room window and made for some very difficult conversation between myself and them and our neighbours on the other side who had also witnessed what happened. Because neither <laughs> of us like my next-door neighbours all that much. <laughs> I might have them sanctioned. <laughs> Get their new dog to do it. Yeah. I'll never expect it. <laughs> there also seems to be some sort of battle royale going on amongst the fauna in my uh, estate. <laughs> so I've had to close the windows. I apologise if you were picking up on the sort of magpie massacre that was going on outside for some reason. <laughs> I didn't realise that North Wales was such a, a battleground for nature. Oh, God, I. <laughs> for someone who doesn't seem to like the concept of assassination too much, he was, seems to have been quite proud of doing assassinations. Yes. And it certainly may be meaningless, but he gets a nice painting out of it at the end. Yes. <laughs> it would be a complete waste of human life were it not for the fact I am able to occasionally glance at this painting. <laughs> I didn't know he spoke jive. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Of course, there's how he rose up the ranks. Nazis were far more accommodating of uh, of albinos. Yes. Hitler, of course, being famed for his not just tolerance but outright promotion of physically imperfect. Um... <laughs> In many ways, one of his defining characteristics. Yes. Well, I've never thought about it quite like that. But anyway, back to the murder. Yes. Why does he have a drawn in a halo? Yeah.
You would think at that point he's finally done something slap worthy, but nope. 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 <laughs> I get the impression if this film were made today, this entire uh, Ben Bowman training school thing would have just been reduced to a montage. Oh, of course. <laughs> this whole sort of thing would be rendered obsolete just, what, four years from now? When, when was Rocky? 79 or something? Um, Maybe earlier. Sounds about right, yeah. Seventy-six. <clears throat> 76, so I'm here two years later. Still, any excuse to spend some time with George Kennedy? <laughs> it's, I, I kind of like the structure of the film in that the first two thirds of the film are dedicated to anything but him. On the mountain, yeah. Um, that doesn't actually come till relatively late on, and this would all be quite nice if there were any degree of, you know, satisfaction to be had in the character development and developing the plot. But there's, there just isn't. It's basically <laughs> just half an hour of misogyny and homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it was in the script. <laughs> this got this entire conversation's rendered redundant now by Facebook, isn't it? <laughs> That's why he lugs his rifle up a mountain with him every time. <laughs> so he can go up to the top and shoot some rocks? I don't understand. <laughs> Look at this girl in the background there. <laughs> no woman in the place can keep her eyes off him. Yeah. The second he hops out that car, he's being covered in <laughs> lustful stares. Subtle. 
that had no point. <laughs> nope. George Kennedy had it in his contract that he could touch someone's bum too. <laughs> and he didn't want it to be a man's. <laughs> Yeah, give or take 10 years at this point. (laughs) I think in the book he's 37. A big deal is made of the fact that the establishment of the university at which he lectures dislike him because there's an assumption that he's independently wealthy and he's also the youngest member of the faculty. Again, that might have been an interesting piece of character development. In two hours and ten minutes, we ain't got time for that. No. There's some buns to get squeezed. It would really cut into the misogyny. (laughs) Both of Clint Eastwood, the only man in history, go on training runs wearing denim and a long sleeve shirt. <laughs> yeah. Always controversial to go for the double denim, but in, in this particular instance, just baffling. <laughs> a woman? An attractive, ethnic woman? What would she know about climbing? Best make sure not to give her any lines. Well, Scott, she's not here to talk. She's a running fool. I just imagine at this point some sort of tractor beam from her buttocks to his eyes <laughs> dragging him up the hill. Must slap. That's it. <laughs> Overbearing compulsion just to squeeze a woman's bum. So, uh, Brenda Venus, who's playing George there, according to IMDb, went on to become a successful author, writing books giving advice on seduction for men and women. 
What? I assume I assume her seduction technique would be running away and showing the ass. So Brenda who? Brenda Venus. Oh Venus. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah, apologize. <laughs> Doesn't look that bad. I mean, if we'd opened it up and it was like a radish or something, I could imagine that, but. What, what is that interaction we're supposed to imagine he's had subliminally with that woman in the background there? <laughs> At what point are we supposed to believe this character would be ashamed for a woman yeah. to see him flipping <laughs> someone the bird? <laughs> No, she's a running fool. Yeah. I didn't see any evidence of climbing. Why would you do that? What would the purpose be? (laughs) Racially sensitive as ever. Yes. I wish your ancestors had been slaughtered. He's gone for slightly more practical clothing today. Yeah. Practicality very much being this film's watchword. What I admire, of course, about George is her absolute integrity. She doesn't flash her breasts until she (laughs) absolutely has to. When I first watched this, I had no idea what that screw Marlon Brando line was about until I read it was his... uh, He had the the bold position of being pro-American Indian rights. Yeah. Uh, Pro-Native American rights, sorry. Famously sending um, an Indian lad up to collect his Oscar on his behalf or something, right? Yeah. But I guess this has shown him. Well, absolutely. He's, he's dead now. Look how Clint Eastwood's done. Yeah. Look at, look at the works he has wrought. Am I being controversial if I state I believe... Uh... <laughs> 
if I if I said that I thought um maybe Brando had been sanctioned by someone. <laughs> you just if you're oh nice. If you <laughs> class is very much this film's watch for Oh, I'd forgotten of course that the dog's name was Faggot. Yes. Subtlety again, very much this film's much worse. (laughs) (sighs) Am I supposed to take from that what I... This incurable disease. Mm. I've struggled with that line for some time now. I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Scott. Let's not dodge it. Is Clint Eastwood open at this point saying he wishes all gays would be dead? He certainly seems to be uh, wishing AIDS upon them, mm-hmm. which is, mm, I mean, not pleasant. Of course it is. I mean, (laughs) 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 no, Baggett always out raping. Oh my days! You know, I wonder if perhaps on the flying lens of history, because AIDS wasn't really known and clinically observed in the US until 1981. I was so going to say it was, was pre this, but I mean, when you when you listen to it these days, it does very much sound that well, whether just, it's that or not, it does sound like he just wishes they were all gone. Well, this is what I mean: is that I'm coming from a point of view. I'd made that assumption because I think AIDS awareness started gathering pace, sort of within popular culture around. 84, 85 or something like Mm. that, the sort of famous advertising campaigns. And so I'm assuming at this point, 10 years prior, he's the the incurable disease he's referring to here is being gay. (laughs) It could more narrowly be interpreted as him just wishing this guy dead, which I suppose is fair enough given the supposed history. Mm. I'm not not completely sure you could say it's got wider application. No. He's just referring but, to his character. Yeah, but I mean, it's. I think its position on homosexuality in general is quite clear and not mm. positive. No. <laughs> An accumulation of evidence rather than a single yeah. smoking gun. I should have known I couldn't trust you the moment I realised you liked men. <laughs> The only way you could be more evil is if you were actually albino. It's if you wore a little more rhinestone. <laughs> That's one of the more effective gestures I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> Hmm. 
that dude just looks like a cartoon. <laughs> <Doesn't he? laughs> There's something about the way he's proportioned that just does not seem correct. <laughs> he's an inverted triangle. <laughs> Sorry, what do you want me to do with him, boss? <laughs> I must nip to the bathroom. <laughs> Sucker punch. Oh, how impressive. Oh, I missed the sucker punch. Yeah. Something he relies for a manly man. Something he relies on quite a bit in his films. It feels slightly distasteful leaving that sort of joking about sort of knocking rocks onto the bell below his head, given that a climber did actually die during the shooting of this. Yeah. And was he ensconced on the bonce with a... Yeah. Geology had its revenge. (laughs) (laughs) A stuntman recently assassinated one of our rocks, Dr. Hemlock. (laughs) You will find the rock responsible. It is believed that the rock has retreated to an abode on top of the Eiger. <laughs> I love the fact that the great thing about IMDb trivia is that people can't actually stick to anything that's interesting. Mm. <sighs> So David Knowles, killed by a boulder on the second day of shooting, Clint Eastwood had been in the same position just minutes earlier. (laughs) As though that has any statistical significance whatsoever. (laughs) The Rock was really trying to get Eastwood. It missed in its mission.
I've never heard the phrase Rick it was used as a positive about someone <laughs> refers to someone's you know, femininity or attractiveness. It's it's only reserved to the sort of person that uh, Clint just beat up in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought there was something strange about shots like this, and it was used in Play Misty for me as well, where they have these really long shots where people are far apart, but they're still talking this normal dialogue. Yeah. Volume, volumes. It just feels very strange to watch. I say Eastwood did most of his own stunts for this, which is... Probably so. I don't think he was... He had any... I don't recall him having any previous rock climbing experience. He did a couple of months or something, right, of training mm. for this. Yeah. Not bad for a couple of months training. I rock climbed for a couple of years and I wouldn't have been even vaguely taken with the notion of tackling anything like this. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. Apparently this still seems to be quite well regarded in uh, the film as it is quite well regarded in climber circles because there's not really that many films that have a lot of climbing in them. So, no, slim more, ca- more more a case of lack of options. Yeah, yeah. So either this or cliffhanger, and you know, <laughs> you know, that cliff's not gonna hold. <laughs> At no point in this film does Clint Eastwood shoot anyone through ice with a piton gun. <laughs> so clearly, it has the edge. Uh, it's almost like the start of Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> it's taken it's taken <laughs> us an hour to get to the point. <laughs> Tom Cruise managed in two minutes. <laughs> Again, going by the trusty fallback of IMDb trivia, they were the last people allowed up that particular formation. Really? Yeah. And then the, the part of their permanent for filming it was that they took down all the pitons that had been used in previous attempts out on the way down.
just the way you are. <laughs> <laughs> the no <laughs> the notion that anyone would drink alcohol on a on a climb <laughs> as dangerous as that is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at midday in the desert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now for the descent, <laughs> I'd like to take on board an extra dimension. Of physical um, and <laughs> mental impairment. I threw all the water out of this bottle and replaced it with vodka. I hope that's okay for you. Yeah. <laughs> what ifs? This is a forerunner to his Republican stage speech, isn't it? To the empty chair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least in this film, he seems to hold women in about as high regard as an empty chair. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he just can't resist climbing into bed with him for no, no. appreciable reason. He's, he's proved his madliness by... By claiming things. <laughs> he seems to have a real blind spot when it comes to being seduced by women, doesn't it? He just... Oh, look, another woman randomly shedding her clothes in front of me. I'm sure only good will come of this. Yeah. Based on he- previous experience. <laughs> But I think that's the thing that this is an era in film where I don't think a great number of these people had had a whole sort of sense of self awareness about them, right? Probably in his little bubble, Clint Eastwood did just think, you know, women shed their clothes for me. That's just what happens. No one will find this behaviour odd. Yes, surely people understand. I'm that irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure money could possibly be the oldest reason in the world given its invention no. was not at the start of the world I assume that's a euphemism yeah. <laughs> why the hell I'm did sure. Miles buff your pile <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Hell, I'm surprised he didn't shine your helmet. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't come in here and insert his penis into you. <laughs> Kill you, I mean. Wink, wink. <laughs> How could you possibly forget me? <laughs> He's so angry or possibly confused or something. Difficult to g gather much from that expression. <laughs> Dwayne not known for his... Uh, Facial acting there. No, no. They've blacked out a tooth. <laughs> that's not acting, I don't know what is. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> How is that not acting, I ask you? Exhilarating car chase coming up. And... Isn't this the one where the guy, the guy playing Dwayne was actually doing the driving mm. and he couldn't actually see anything because of the dust being kicked yeah. up, if I remember correctly. <laughs> he was basically driving using the force. The d very defining characteristic <laughs> of a bastard. <laughs> yes. In many ways, it's the worst thing he's ever done. Trying to confuse you with his brake light combinations. <laughs> That's so underhand, we hadn't even seen it in wacky races. <laughs> what do you want? A medal. <laughs> what do you want, Dwayne? A medal? <laughs> <laughs> Mutley <laughs> Do something Sanction them <laughs> What do you want Mutley A Pizarro <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think we've just invented a much better film than this <laughs> <laughs> And he hides in a cloud of smoke Just like Batman There you go In a car in case you didn't see him, Dwayne! Good old car jousting there. Yes! <laughs> Double denim, of course. Far more appropriate for this line of work. Yeah. Ha <laughs> 
You know, the one who was trying <laughs> to kill him a minute ago. <laughs> he, he seems puzzlingly confused by all these developments. How could you, he you have possibly predicted? <laughs> you tried to kill me. No, I, well, I've had the opportunity since then to kill you if I wanted. <laughs> Why didn't you let that man kill you, Jonathan? You're an animal! (laughs) (laughs) A practical... uh... (laughs) (laughs) The right tool for the job, eh? I'm sure sure that's specifically outloading highway code. (laughs) (laughs) Look how he's having a hold there. (laughs) That's <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> oh, Miles Mello can basically do what he wants at this point. There's virtually no risk whatsoever of him being shot. But he wouldn't want to endanger his dog. No. Remind you, it's called Baggett. We wouldn't want <laughs> Because this film reeks of class. <laughs> He missed an opportunity there for a line, didn't he? Yes. Oh. The ultimate screw you. <laughs> Baggett would rather be with Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> We've not disrespected enough people in here. Make sure to disrespect animals as well. <laughs> I'll let you live, but not until I've completely berated you. <laughs> I love the fact he continues to yell after him as though he's going to change his mind. <laughs> Jonathan, surely I can still appeal to your better nature at this juncture? (laughs) I'm aware my bed has been made, however I refuse to lie in it. (laughs) Unless you're lying in it with me, Jonathan. (laughs) And finally, an hour and a quarter into the film, the Iger itself. I'll be polite and say that that middle act could use a bit of trimming. Um, yeah. <laughs> By about half an hour or so. <laughs> That's the thing, is there's, there's, there really is quite a tight hour and 40, hour and 45 minute movie to be made yeah. of this material. 
This is one of those films that I would actually like to see remade. Yeah. Would you have it remade as a serious film or something a bit more parodic? I'd like it to be a little bit more serious, but I, I kind of, I kind of would want it to retain the sarcasm that I've witnessed so far in the <laughs> in the novel. I think that gives it a nice edge. Now, you know this is where the movie's getting serious because this is the point at which the vast majority of the homophobia and misogyny just drop off the scale. Because mm. <laughs> now he's got some serious work to do, damn it. Yeah. He's not playing around anymore. Well, listen, I can't just faff around making fun of fags and bitches all time. <laughs> As I believe... I said in the first Dirty Harry sequel a couple of years ago, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> Who is Kelsey? You know Kelsey. Well, I don't know his nuts all that well. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey. He's one of Big Danny's crew. Oh, the guy. That guy. The guy, the guy with the thing. Yeah. The guy who had that... Uh, that the guy who had that thing with the other guy. Ah, uh, forget about him. <laughs> what is the matter with him? <laughs> what a maroon. <laughs> so all of a sudden it becomes a mafia mountain climbing thriller at this point. <laughs> hey, one of the guys on this climbs a fugazi. <laughs> maybe you uh maybe you go up the mountain with him. Maybe he uh has some kind of accident, huh? Bada bing, bada boom. My dear mafioso, I am no Fugazi <laughs> I am an albino, as you can tell from my condition. Look into my eyes and so on and so forth. Well, now we've gathered all of these national stereotypes in one room. <laughs> a bunch of... I can't help but read double entendre and everything here. A bunch of weak fronts <laughs> moving in. You don't mean uh, more queers, do you, Ben? <laughs> the way I like to view this film up to... <sighs> Over the years, I've come up with various interpretations of this, and my favourite my favorite way I like to watch this film is to imagine that Dragon is actually a Bond villain, okay? Yeah. This is, this is, this is, this is reflexive to the sort of the Bond trend, this, this film. Yeah. So I like to imagine that Dragon is a Bond villain and that Hemlock is sort of his top henchman and that this mission is actually to sanction Bond on this mountain climb. One of the guys on this climb is actually James Bond. And this is actually that thing of the first Austin Powers movie when they yeah. spoke about, oh, you never find out about the henchman. This, this is a film all about the Bond villain and his henchman <laughs> and all the sort of dealings and inner politics of, of all the shit that Bond villains have to put up with. I can see that making sense. I mean, Hemlock is in no way a particularly heroic character. Nope. And, well... I mean, look at his name. Yes. <laughs> Dragon is Dragon is certainly um what's the word I want? 
fluorescent enough in character <laughs> to be. Uh, he's he's got all those subtle qualities that the early Bond villains <laughs> like to have, doesn't he? Yes. How did you find me, Mister Bond? <laughs> well, Dragon. When I'm on a mission, I simply look for the man with an inexplicable and completely irrelevant physical condition. <laughs> and it tends to be the head of the organization. Curse our recruiting policies. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should never have been an equal opportunities employer, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Affirmative action in the workplace is such a bind. <laughs> Could you at least wait until I have finished replenishing my blood? <laughs> then we can <laughs> Then we can talk some more about how both our organizations seem to have been infiltrated by a disproportionate number of queers and women. <laughs> <laughs> All it can stop is his weather and various other manifestations of physics. <laughs> oh, and they, and they say people prof. from my part of the world have no sense of humour. <laughs> I am making a joke now. <laughs> That seems like a very cash set, set of planning for Shroud the Anger. We're going to follow this felt tip that I've hastily scribbled. We're going to start at the bottom and we're going to go up. There we go. Anyone got any questions? For what was certainly at this point in time when this film was made, still almost certain death. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I have learned sufficiently from the people who have gone before us to say that we shall plan not to fall. <laughs> And not to succumb <laughs> to the weather and the extreme cold. <laughs> now, who is for half a vice beer? <laughs> Did somebody bring some rope? <laughs> then I do not see the problem. We have these water bottles. Also, the water has been replaced with vodka. <laughs> I assume this is not a problem. <laughs> If George Kennedy says this man has spent a couple of minutes running up a hill behind an ethnic woman, that is good enough for me. <laughs> yes, he had to take the sanction. How else was he supposed to get that Pizarro? <laughs> Why don't you use me as an exposition sounding board? Because I serve no other purpose in this film. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a mountain. What do you expect? Yes. I'm thinking of some sort of brutal racial slur that you might be able to 
throwing it. It's been it's been a while since he's referenced the fact that I, I don't know if you noticed this. Um, she is a, a black actress. Really? Mm-hmm. You would think you'd have made some kind of slurred relation to that by this point. Mm. Just think how much. Just think how much less hassle he would be to wrangle for Dragon if um, if his proclivity was for I don't know building his DVD collection or something. <laughs> well, you know that I'm not going to turn this sanction down for a rare Criterion copy of RoboCop. <laughs> Your fee for this sanction will be a hundred pounds of Amazon gift vouchers. <laughs> I can either send you the card, or perhaps you will take do with the email. Is it? I can just email you the code. <laughs> Is that a Scottish accent there? Yes. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. No. Hi there, Hemlock. Are we, uh... All right, you gadge. Got a wee note There's here. Some outside. <laughs> Got a wee note here for the low key fella who's dressed for the season outside there. <laughs> Guy appears to be impersonating a Harlequin. That's it. Another opportunity for an endo there. Yeah. Sadly missed. If only Miles were here, he'd know what to do. He'd know exactly what to do. <laughs> if only I hadn't casually left him to his death. <laughs> How's it going? I'm just sat here in the queue for Studio 42. <laughs> 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 I've come to this party dressed as a travel rug. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is not Sunset Boulevard. Nice. I'm going to be offended at that, despite that being the sort of thing that I would probably say. My copy of this just skipped there, or did he double take that line? Yeah, no, he stutters. It's even in the subtitles. Yeah. Stuttering. I don't know why. He doesn't do it at any other point, but I suppose that's character development. Hmm. As you know, Hemlock, I'm afflicted by an occasional stammer, <laughs> which I treat with this mouth spray. <laughs>
Hey, that's only slightly racist. Did you notice she's black? <laughs> what stance is that? Tiger style. G.I. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. <laughs> pia, pia, piano, piano, piano. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice that's what you were standing on? <laughs> is there is there a I wanna say I wanna say subtle. Really in, in terms of this film it might be subtle. Is there is there um, a suggestion that Pope might be a gay character as well? No. Uh, I think in that case it wouldn't be the clarinet, it would be the uh, pink oboe. The pink oboe. <laughs> I feel like there are little hints at it in some of his dialogue and stuff, his propensity for calling people sweetheart. <laughs> Which in 1975 is clearly enough to mark a man out as <laughs> being of a certain persuasion. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, unless you're writing the film, in which case there is everything wrong with Absolutely. As we see, I was, ex- I was expecting this to be a lot more based around actually climbing this movie before I'd seen it for the first time. But mm. here we are. It's, there's only what thirty-five minutes left in the film, thirty odd, and you, you finally get to see them start. And I've been read into the general premise of this film. <laughs> I like the fact they're colour coded in a children's TV presenter kind of way. <laughs> What are Buck's Fizz doing on this climb? (laughs) They're making their mind up. (laughs) 
all the intricate game of double bluffs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> aren't we sneaky? Can you comprehend that, woman? <laughs> now, I know you're a woman and you're black, so I'm going to lay this out for you, sister. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. This is where we find out why the German was quite so complacent at the start. He's going to get to this bit and go, well, we've done it. <laughs> you crazy Hessian. <laughs> we were only 2% of the way. <laughs> tap, tap, tap. And the insane thing is people like free climb this now in like two yeah. hours. Can what's the record for the speed ascent? Let me just do a bit of Googling here. There's not as much to make fun of in this section. <laughs> this is largely where all the serious content of the film wound up. Yeah, it's all backloaded. Yeah. Into ten minutes. <laughs> There's a sort of inherent drama to watching people climb these mountains, and it, you you would think it would be more deeply mined. I can only assume because it'd be such a pain to film that it's uh, not revisited so much. But mm. there's surely a few really great climbing movies out there to be made, but uh, so far haven't. Yeah, and given that now these days you can get. <laughs> You could basically film it on an iPhone with yeah. reasonable quality. You would think it was a, I think it was due for a, a resurgence. There you go. So considering that at this point people people were struggling to conquer the north face of the Eiger and the number of lives it had claimed. Yeah. It would normally take, apparently, at the point at which it was first surmounted, it would normally be expected to take two days. Mm -hmm. The record for a team speed climb now is four hours, 25 minutes. <laughs> so it's now an afternoon outing. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any beer? <laughs> oh, Jonathan, you fell for that old trick again. <laughs> I've put a mini bar in your backpack. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, right. Swiss speed demon Yuli Steck holds the fastest all-free solo ascent, which he completed in 2 hours 47 minutes in 2008. 
He's got to have been cheating. <laughs> in 2011, Danny Arnold climbed it in 2 hours 28 minutes, using some aid on the Hinterstosia Traverse and beneath the exit cracks. That is mental. Did they have, like, spring-loaded boots or something and just jump half the way up? Oh, go gadget copter hat! <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow ascent, but it does the job. <laughs> I mean, that's that's advances in technique, right? That's not necessarily equipment advances. Yes. The rudimentals of, of climbing equipment have remained fairly... I mean, the materials have changed, obviously. Yeah, and unfortunately, like real life is not an RPG. You can't min-max your stats by putting everything into climbing. Yeah. So. So there have to there have to be bits of equipment left in place. There have to be sort of um, hard points and stuff in there that these people are using to get up there that quickly, surely. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> That's like less time than my sort of average. Average drive on a working day one way. <laughs> and leaving behind what looks suspiciously like a massively frayed end in its place. <laughs> That's this movie's attempt at creating suspicion yeah. around a character. <laughs> One would say, too little, too late. That's it. I'm conducting routine maintenance, but my accent would suggest otherwise. I am inherently suspicious <laughs> Don't you think My European ways Alien as they are to you May be indicative Of an ulterior motive Dr. Hemlock If only I was as trustworthy As the people you are working for <laughs> Particularly that understated Gentleman dragon <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. <laughs> it would appear so, yes. Another scene that has no purpose being here. 
Let's, let's be rude to some British people. I have English accent and am moneyed. <laughs> You're clearly a rude farmer. <laughs> I say peasant. <laughs> Rudimentary as it may appear to someone of my wealth, might my wife borrow your telescope? <laughs> Bor- bor- borrow your cheap lensing device? Hello, sir. I thought I'd just wander over here and point out to you that I'm independently wealthy. Good day. (laughs) (laughs) It is a hard job, but someone has to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Only five billion people left, but I will get out of (laughs) all. Oh, no. No, no, it's just a man with a beard. <laughs> An easy mistake to make. One, one would assume Jesus would not be having these problems. <laughs> so I still realised this film's one weakness was they can't get reaction shots in so <laughs> we have to have lots of people staring at it through telescopes cut to Ben looking through his telescope Jesus Christ cut to a random person looking through the telescope Jesus Christ cut to the English guy in the hat again Hello, madam. I thought I'd wander over and point out that I'm independently wealthy. Cut to a, cut to a kid with some binoculars. Jesus Christ! That rock has caused some strange injuries. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking now. They don't. I don't. They don't perform even like a rudimentary health check. Right? He's just had his head staved in by a rock, <laughs> and has blood coming out of his nose. You good to carry on with this perilous climb that will almost certainly end in our deaths anyway? Yep. <laughs> good to go. Good enough for me. Excuse me, when did you stop beating your wife? There you go. And that's this uh, that's this movie's resolute two fingers up to the feminist movement there. 
Well, to be fair, I had went for about 15 minutes without being openly misogynistic. That's so. it. That's- I think what they wanted to do was just go all in there and just send a clear message to feminists in general. <laughs> and a message that I'm sure they hadn't heard before. Say, every time they visited a bar or anything like that. Lady, you need to go and get laid. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Mic drop. In many ways, the last 20 minutes of this film are just simple denouement. There's, <laughs> there's literally no need for that. There's a, what, a 15 second scene? Nope. Not it serves no narrative purpose whatsoever. <laughs> I can only suppose they felt they hadn't made their viewpoint clearly strong <laughs> no. up by this point. At so it was point. a last minute insertion into the script <laughs> to really hammer home that message. At some point going through the dailies and the sort of the rough edit in the suite, said, God damn it. I don't think I've made my feelings clear enough. <laughs> Having worked with some of the greatest directors in the world at this point, I think I need a Moment to crystallise my thoughts and feelings. So it's a bad thing, yes. Listen, lady, do you mind sticking around? It's just you're awful useful for bouncing exposition off of. (laughs) I was struggling up to this point. I had no idea I was going to get that across, but you've been most helpful. (laughs) You're the only woman today who hasn't offended me somehow by her very (laughs) presence. Yes, that's a good thing. I should probably take it as a sign. This is the part of climbing that I just don't understand anyone taking enjoyment from. Yeah. The point at which you're basically just driving an axe into some rock. Because there's no way of actually doing it using your hands and feet. It's all for the challenge, I suppose. I mean, I've I've never tried it myself, apart from that one time when I tried to defrost my fridge. (laughs) In many ways, uh, just as treacherous. I would say, if anything, it was more difficult. 
It's a big fridge, right? Yeah, well, well you got to warn, make sure you don't like rupture any of the coolant lines or anything like that. You've got to be very careful. And these guys, they're just drive whacking it right in. Look, easy. Any one of them could hit a pipe at any moment. <laughs> then the entire mountain would defrost. So. Blasted in the face by Freon. <laughs> God damn it, if we don't retreat now, the sausages will have gone off by the time we get home. <laughs> and I really want those sausages. <laughs> right, tag you asshole. Oh, he looks in fine shape. He guys, he's still bleeding out from when he got battered <laughs> on the head by a rock. <laughs> but, but why would you check something like that? Listen, he says he's fine. He signed off his self-certification on his return to work. That's it. I don't mean to patronise you, but are you sure you're <laughs> you're okay to carry on? Yep. Good enough for me. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that at some point one of your arms fell off. <laughs> but that's it. You appear to be a heterosexual male and therefore inherently trustworthy according to the tenets of this film, though. So. <laughs> I'm not going to worry too much about the fact that I can see your exposed brain through the hole in the top of your helmet because the extreme cold will stop an infection from developing. This is what separates us from women and fags. <laughs> he should really have taken the little dog with him on the climb. I think. <laughs> he's, he's dead. How'd you know he's dead? Well, he had his skull split open and we continued to drag him up a mountain. In many ways, it was inevitable. He was bleeding for most of the day. <laughs> <laughs> That tends to happen. <laughs> Turns out his blood comes in a finite pintage. <laughs> if only he'd taken advice from Dragon. Who knows? Who knows the importance of blood and its replacement? <laughs> if you were any kind of a man, you'd. Flap your arms and fly off of this mountain. <laughs> I don't suppose you're one of those goddamn diseased homosexuals I keep hearing about. <laughs> Am I the only one standing on this mountain who'd know what to do if I was faced by a vagina? I chewed it, that's what I do. <laughs> Am I the only one here with a steroid habit? God damn it! <laughs> ah! I'm gonna knock 6,000 feet off of this mountain with my bare hands. <laughs> and we're gonna get down that way, because I'm a man. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
what? You look like you might have advanced the plot somewhere. <laughs> as, as you're a female, I can't possibly comprehend you having that level of information. <laughs> no man would trust you with exposition. <laughs> what are you playing at, sister? <laughs> this film, this film. Oh, I was just needlessly ruminating on further plot developments. I was just coming up with more ways to regress her characterization. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I only came over because I noticed you hadn't berated a woman for more than five minutes. Well, I appreciate that. Now go do the (laughs) damn dishes. Excuse me, madam. Have I told you that I'm independently (laughs) wealthy? Four billion nine hundred ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety six to go. What did they say this tunnel was again? Is this- uh, I think it's. Oh, I remember reading about this. It's some sort of access tunnel for rescue. I can't remember. I can't. It can't be why it was built because no one builds tunnels into mountains at that kind of expense <laughs> just for rescue. It was. I think people used to access the face of it for some reason, and this was their way out onto that particular face. Right. Um, and I can't remember why they would access it. I think maybe Whole Foods built it so that they could like <laughs> climb out and gather the ice and melt yeah. it and sell it for twenty dollars a bottle, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it was there to allow access to the face for some reason, and then latterly, sort of climbers have used it as a safe retreat. Um, yeah, in the event of peril, in the event of the Iger happening. Yes. Iger happens. He got up there quick. That is in no way a dummy. Thanks for the thanks for the advice. Up until this point I hadn't been showing any care whatsoever. <laughs> Just 
I think the first time I watched this, I did watch this scene a couple of times, not just because it's quite an impressive bit of stunt work, mm. and also because I was thinking if there was any suspicion that this was Hemlock deliberately uh, precipitating two of these people intentionally, but uh, of course the rest of the, the film uh, relays that. Mm-hmm. I like the cut of that man, Jim. I don't know what the best I was hoping for is. <laughs> Man, now, now he's going to be twice as dead. <laughs> yeah, did Hemlock put those... Um Piton's in on the was was he leading? Did he intentionally put them in in an unsafe manner? Or I mean, I know as you say, it's it's suggested laterally that yeah, well, you wouldn't know that at the time. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, it didn't look like it, but then I don't really know enough about climbing to know if it was. There was certainly no sinister movement or winking at the camera to suggest. No, and he was certainly in enough peril himself to suggest that he might not reasonably have expected to have come out of that. So it it is a bit confusing at the end. It feels like they've kind of just slapped on. Oh, we need we need it to sound like there was another clever twist. Yeah. Guessing there's more high tech fabrics for nobody gloves. Yeah. In this day and age, the, the woolen mitt. <laughs> you might want to take in some of the slack first, like. <laughs> Of a rare moment of genuine tension here. <laughs> Shortly after, possibly the only other one in the movie. Yeah. 
Exposition, exposition, John. I can't help but feel that this would have been more effective if I mentioned it at the start of the film rather than now. <laughs> <laughs> at this moment, it almost looks like a plaster to the film. Some ethnic chick came up to me. <laughs> Awkward. That hat's a difficult look for anyone to pull off. <laughs> I'm not sure she's nailing it. <laughs> Almost, but not quite. <laughs> I'm glad one of us has flair, Hemlock. <laughs> I'm not evil. I could only appreciate you more at this point if you were beset by some sort of crippling physical disability. <laughs> Have you considered a career in albinism? <laughs> <laughs> now to other matters. Have you been missold PPI at any point, Dr. Hemlock? <laughs> ben, one last thing. You're not a woman or a queer, are you, Ben? <laughs> well, Jonathan, you know that. Oh, now, Jonathan, come on now, look. If there's more one thing I hate more than queers or women, it's a queer ethnic woman. <laughs> like Ben. <laughs> I may have been hit on the head at some point during that climb. <laughs> but, but Jonathan, how did you know that Ben was actually a queer ethnic woman? Oh, somebody strolled up to me and gave me some exposition at some point. <laughs> and I took it on face value. As you do. I noticed he was walking with a limp. Which you think would have troubled him earlier during the earlier climbing section, but apparently it didn't. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I 
think I've done wailing on queers and women for one film. I feel like expanding my repertoire somewhat. Maybe for my next venture, I'll pick on disabled children. <laughs> or starving Africans. Join us for the next Clint Eastwood film, where he insults a variety of inanimate objects, in the hope that they will respond. <laughs> oh, We've only got 90 seconds left. What was his next film after this? And was it a step up? I mean, it's hard to imagine a step down. No, oh, come on. I have a great deal of affection for this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's unique. I'll give it that. I went on to do The Outlaw Josie Wales. Okay. But did he direct that also? He... I don't recall. He did, he did. Then the Enforcer, where he vented some more fury at homosexuals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And every which way but loose switch. Oh no, the gauntlet. There you go. Which I can't actually remember for a few films after this. I can't remember at which point his his clear hatred of certain social minorities impaled, um, but there you go. Hmm. At some point it did. At some point he grew up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what an interesting experience this film is as we rapidly come to the end. But um, Scott, I'm glad I shared this Sunday morning with you. Yes, it's, it's been an interesting way to spend a couple of hours, <laughs> and one which I hope never to repeat again. <laughs> Thanks. Certainly not with this film. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I was Craig. And I was Scott. Oh, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.